Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Hey, Sarah. Hello, Rebecca. You switched it up on you today. I got in there first. We have to take turns. It's only polite. I learned that in kindergarten. I try, but as an only child, I always wanted to be on the slide first. We have a little bit of a more serious episode this week. We're talking about COVID and a very personal death that happened in our local community here connected to the Historical Society. Anybody around the, I would say, 60-mile radius at least probably has heard of Terry Overracker Plumbing and Terry Overracker and his wife, Gina, and the community work that they do and the the impact that they have had on the nonprofits and the business community, people that they know as friends. They have an enormous network. Terry passed away the beginning of the year from COVID. How did you meet Gina? We met through the Metro North Chamber. We were at some programs together um, doing social networking. The one time that I remember very clearly actually sitting down with her for a social situation was at Crooners after one of the meetings and there was about 10 of us that stayed afterwards just to hang out and have a little bit of fun. She talked nonstop about our ghost tour and how much she enjoyed the tour and Terry's ghost in in the building. Oh, I remember we that the building was just slightly too far away for us to include in in the route because it's a walking tour. She always came to all of those chamber events and spoke about the plumbing. She had her own little tagline that everybody loved. What was that? Don't sleep with a drip. Terry being part of the drip with his great <laughs> ZZ Top-esque beard. She shares with us the story of what happened and a little bit of healing and working through grief because it's a process. Sharing it with others and talking about it and remembering is important. So should we get into it? Sounds like a plan. Gina, I am so grateful that you took the time today to sit down with us. You're very generous with your time and the emotions that you've got right now are very raw and I just want to acknowledge that you coming forward right now is is a true gift. Thank you for taking this time to be with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so honored that you even called me. It's been a very difficult last three or four months. Just how grateful I am that you're strong enough to have seen it through to this point already. Thank you. Yeah, that's a word people keep saying, how strong I am, but uh, and thank God my mother raised me to be that way. I'm a survivor. I agree. You had said to me earlier that you and Terry had never considered being incredibly sick with COVID. You had a plan for it, but you had never anticipated this was going to end in his death. Right, yeah. Um, you know, when 
COVID hit Minnesota, of course, you know, it was far out on the West Coast and East Coast. You didn't think much about it. When it hit Minnesota, we, um, we actually had employees that got sick, but nobody got deathly sick. And everybody we heard about that got sick didn't get deathly sick. We didn't know anybody that died from it. And um, when you did hear about people dying, all you would hear in the media was it was people in nursing homes, older people, people with underlying health conditions. You know, there were all these reasons and it was all the things that didn't fit. We didn't fit those categories. Um, even though we were in our 60s, we didn't think um, of ourselves as being the elderly that they were talking about in the nursing homes. And we felt we were pretty good, healthy and good shape. And we've never, neither one of us hardly ever goes to a doctor. We're always healthy and doing well. So we always thought if we happened to get COVID, we'd be just like our kids that got it or other people we knew we might get sick for a while. Um, but if we did, we'd be fine. We'd just take care of each other and, and come out on the other end when it was over. When you had been diagnosed with it first, correct? No, actually, um, Terry had been sick over Thanksgiving. The week of Thanksgiving, he hadn't been feeling good. And, and so during the Thanksgiving dinner and the day after, he was very weak and very tired, um, didn't feel good, but it was mostly just the fatigue and exhaustion. And so he went and got tested on Saturday because he wanted to go back to work on Monday. And we didn't, we wanted to make sure it wasn't COVID thinking it probably wasn't. We were thinking it was something else and thought, well, I want him to go back to work, but we don't want to expose our employees or anybody else. So he got tested on Saturday and was positive. And I said, should I be tested? And the lady that tested him said, no, wait till you get symptoms. But then I went home and I had to, I, he went to bed and I went in, in the other room and I thought, well, I'll just stay away from him. And I thought, well, that's silly because if I have it, then I can better take care of him. I don't have to stay away from him and quarantine from him. So I went the next day to get tested and I was positive. So I came home from the testing and told him I was positive and um, it was then that my daughter kept asking if we checked his oxygen. We hadn't, so we checked his oxygen and we didn't know what that really meant, but we knew it was low. So we called the nurse line and they said, get him to a hospital. So next thing we knew we were driving him straight to the hospital. The visitation at the hospital was non-existent for you, correct? Correct. I took him into the, to the emergency room and told the lady that his oxygen level was at 60 and that he had COVID and she made a phone call, came around the other side of the desk. We had took him in a wheelchair because he was so weak, he couldn't hardly walk in. And she just grabbed that wheelchair and head down the hall and didn't even say boo to me. I'm just left standing there. And I just said, I'll see you later, talk to you later. And they immediately put him in ICU and they didn't have a room at um, Mercy Hospital where we took him. So he had to be transferred to Unity Hospital. But, but I just went home and waited to hear because there was nothing you can't stay there. You can't be with them. They won't, they don't talk to you. It's very unnatural as a caregiver, as a partner. Yeah, it's very unnatural and very scary because you, you're removed from everything. You have no idea what's going on. You can't see what's happening. You, you have to just sit and wait. And I'm not a waiting kind of person. So that was, that was hard. And then when they told me they were moving him to Unity, I mean, I, I, we knew that with COVID, you don't get to be with the person we'd already seen all that and heard all that so um but we really thought like I said, he was just weak and tired his oxygen was low so they got him oxygen and they we just thought you know he just has to get strong again and it was a, at first we weren't still weren't thinking um 
that he wouldn't be fine. It would be just like we just he needs to be there for a little while and he'll get better. And uh, I would keep telling him he'd be fine. He just keeps saying, "I hope so." So, and then uh, we went through two weeks of day by day, him struggling to breathe and have strength. And he ended up with a um, uh, viral pneumonia, which is the part of the COVID you can't treat. They gave him all the medications. They gave the president. They gave him everything they could do because it was viral, it didn't get, his body had to decide how it was gonna fight the virus and it didn't fight it well. The lungs just were not doing well at all. And so they ended up having to put him on a ventilator after two weeks and, um, and actually all of his, you know, all of his other health, his organs and everything, everything was, they got everything stabilized very well. And we still kept thinking every day, we kept thinking, oh, he's getting better. He's gonna be fine. And, when they tried to take him off the vent, they realized that his lungs were never gonna function on their own. And that's when we just had to say goodbye. But they did let me, I will tell you, and we didn't talk about this earlier, they did let me be with him. When we took him off the vent, right after they took him off the vent, I got to see him before and they took off the vent and my daughter and I went in and then they took him off the vent. We went back in, I actually got to hold him and talked to him and we played music to him in the last 30 minutes. But it was 30 minutes and he was gone. That tells you how bad the lungs were. They were crystallized. They were bad. It was on both sides of his lungs. There was no coming back. The experience of being in the wings like that and being helpless. Yeah, it was tough. And it was like, you know, the first two weeks he could talk to me on the phone and he did a couple times a day, but because he was on oxygen and, and labored, he couldn't talk for very long before. I mean, he was very focused on trying to keep his oxygen levels up, but he was bound and determined he was gonna do everything he could. So we didn't get to talk a lot, but, and then once he went on the ventilator, you know, there's different opinions on whether they can hear you or not. So at that point, we would do is I would call him a day and put the phone to his ear and I talked to him. I don't know if he heard me or not, but not being able to be there and hold him and touch him, uh, it's excruciating. How did you reconcile that? You know, when you take marriage vows, you know, you, you promise to be there for better or worse. How did you not just storm the hospital and barge in? You know, at first it was I to just talk to him every day. And I, I had sent him cards. I wrote him a bunch of, I wrote him a big long letter and took it in and then some encouragement to, you know, boost his morale each day if he needed them and drop those off to him. But um, I honestly, up until a couple of days before he passed, we honestly just in my heart of hearts kept thinking he was going to be fine. It was hard to not be with him, but I knew he was strong and I knew he was fighting and I knew that uh, he was tired and needed to rest. But it was still, you know, it would have been nice to be able to be by his bedside and hold his hand at least to give him comfort. You know, I think of him being alone was so sad that he had to be all alone and not have anybody he knew at all. You know, and then they changed the doctors regularly, they changed the nurses regularly. So he had a couple of nurses that he liked. So he, was, he would tell me, yes, so-and-so is my nurse today and I'm really happy. 
because he's kind of built relationships. And the nurses on staff got to know, on, that took care of him, got to know him pretty well because, you know, Terry's a talker. He's just a people person. So I think he enjoyed some of them and kind of, I think that gave him a little bit of comfort. But again, these are still strangers. Yeah. How does it sit with you to be a historic death? You know, you're in the middle of the pandemic. You're, you're one of 500,000 that have this experience. You know, when Terry first got sick and was in the hospital, the thought that was going through my head and, and I would talk to him about was when you get through this, you're going to be the spokesperson of COVID of how important it is because Terry did everything to do what needed to be done to stay safe as far as wearing a mask and we kept the office wiped down and we kept distance from people and we didn't go out a ton we you know we went out when we had to to the store, grocery store or whatever but we did not run around acting like it was no big deal we were very very cautious so I was thinking, you know, when, when you get through this and you get out, you can go tell people your horror story of what it was like to be in the hospital without your family and, and how serious this can be and how, how, how you feel going through this. So I kind of thought, you know, I was kind of didn't like it, but I thought at least there's a purpose. We can get something positive out of this. But um, after he passed away, I still had that he. He was a pillar of society in the in our area, and people knew him and loved him. And so again, he did become that spokesperson, but uh, because nobody knew anybody that died from it, and they could no longer say that anymore. They couldn't pretend like it wasn't serious or it couldn't affect someone they knew well, because a lot of people told me that they didn't know anybody else that had died from it. I still don't know anybody else besides Terry that had died from it. I think it's important to turn something that's devastating into something that can be useful to others, to help them understand what it's really like. It's not something that doesn't happen to you or that can't happen to you or it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. It's your life. Is that the main message you want people to hear right now? You know, as I was preparing for today, the thing that went through my mind is I have never been a person, I mean, I always try and encourage people to do things that help others. And I'm, um, and I'll voice my opinion, but I've always believed to let people have their own opinions and let bygones be got bygones and that people didn't have to think and feel the way I feel. But I think I want people to realize how important it is to be safe. Uh, I'm very scared with the, um, Lack of belief, lack of, this is different because I feel like people don't understand the severity of it and the impact that their lack of following the rules and being vaccinated can have on other people. Um, if, if I thought for a minute that I had been frivolous and ignored the rules and, and I caused Terry to get COVID, I couldn't live with myself for the rest of my life. Um, luckily we got it together. So I assume we both picked it up in the same place at the same time. And I can't even be angry at Terry because he did everything he could do. He did not bring this on himself. You have to think of the impact you could be having on other people besides yourself if you don't. Um, 
wear your mask. It's not that hard of a thing to do to wear a mask. It's actually after you do it a while, you kind of get used to it. Um, it's not that hard to get vaccinated. I got my shot yesterday. I was never so happy in my life to get a shot. I hate shots, but I was ecstatic because I feel like now in a couple of weeks, I can get around other people that are vaccinated or other people. Uh, I can, I'll still wear a mask when I need to, but I can at least feel like I'm reducing the risk to other people of me giving them COVID or even getting it myself again. Um, it's not just something the media has made up. It's not a propaganda thing. It's not a joke. It's, it really is happening. And I'm hearing more and more people that have family members that have died from it. Um, and I think that people have to understand that this is something that can hit you tomorrow and you, you, know, you least expect it because we never thought we would be where we're at today and not in our wildest dreams. Is one of the other purposes that could come out of this um, work with patient advocacy for you? Um, I don't even know if patient advocacy, I think, well, I did have an advocate for Terry and my nephew who was a doctor who was calling every six to eight hours. He's a doctor that's very experienced with COVID. He was in New York when it hit there as a volunteer and where he practices now, he works in the hospital with COVID patients. So he had a lot of knowledge and he was able to monitor everything that was going on with Terry. Now, had I not had that and not been able to be there, that would have been so much worse for me because I, when you talk to the doctors, it's hard to really understand what they're telling you, that with their way of telling you and how serious it is. And they started talking right away to me about how Terry wasn't a candidate for a lung transplant. And I'm just going, why do I need to worry about a lung transplant? You know, I, I turned the other way. I let my nephew talk to the doctors and then he would talk to me instead of the doctors so that he could tell me what I needed to know, what our odds were. You know, he kept telling me we needed a miracle, but I just had faith that God would give us one. I truly did up until, uh, like I say, within two days before we let him go, when we had to make that decision, that was when it really hit me that we weren't getting that miracle. And, and two well, months away from his death um, is, is a tough time, but you know, maybe a, a year from now, is there a, a different, different perspective that you're looking forward to? Um, you know, my life will go on. I know it will. People tell me that all the time. Things you, know, you have to, you just keep picking it up and moving forward. Um, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of great times in my life, but I'll never have Terry back. So, yeah, I mean, the only positive I can see is, is helping people face reality and, and change things and make it better for those that still haven't gotten it or still have a chance to survive it. When someone passes away and the funeral is done and all the casseroles are eaten and you're delaying the celebration of life to this summer. Does that just draw out the grief process? I can't answer that yet until we, um, until we have the celebration of life. And we did have a funeral, uh, it, but at the same time, because of COVID, I didn't feel, I, I discouraged people from coming. I asked them not to come. I actually told fam, his family in Oklahoma, don't come because I, 
just couldn't bear the thought of someone having a gathering of people and someone else getting COVID um, and having that on our conscience that it was because they came for that because they would have to travel. But we, I mean, we had the funeral and we, the, my immediate family with my children and grandchildren all gathered at my house afterwards like you normally would, but we didn't have the rest of the people. We did have people at the funeral. It wasn't like nobody came, but um, it wasn't the same. Yeah, this, this way of trying to celebrate someone's life and have a service for them is not the same with COVID because you want everyone to be able to, to have that closure and have that celebration that you normally would have. And I know Terry's is going to be uh, a big celebration of his life when we have it. And it's gonna feel good to finally get to hug people. Yes, I'll have to grieve all over, I'll cry a lot, but it'll be joyful because we'll be celebrating Terry and who he was. Not only are we gonna be celebrating Terry and his life, we're gonna be celebrating the fact that we are finally able to gather and we're finally able to hug each other and we're finally able to, to not be in fear. I mean, right now life is fearful. I'm, like I said, I've already had it. I'm double masking. I've been vaccinated yesterday, but I'm still gonna be wearing a mask and I'm still gonna be double masking when I go into any kind of public place like Walmart or the grocery stores or any place where there's a lot of people I don't know, I'm gonna be overly cautious because it's I know the reality of this and it scares me. When you're in a store now, do you almost feel like you should be, you should have a little label on your shirt? Yeah, I would love to have a big sign and shout it from the rooftops. And um, I had have posted things on Facebook and encourage people. But I do, I kind of giggle because I have a mask that my daughter bought for me that says, I lost my husband to COVID. I wear this mask to protect yours. And then it's got the hashtag, not just a number. And I think the real scary thing that scares me about COVID is that you can have no symptoms. You can think you're perfectly safe and you could be carrying it around to other people. And that's why it's so important that you don't wear a mask because you're sick and don't wanna give it to somebody and you know you're sick or you're coughing or whatever, you've got a fever. You're wearing it because you don't know if you're carrying it to somebody else and vice versa. So, um, and that's the, the horror of COVID is it's so sinister that it can be spread with people not even knowing they're spreading it. You, you can you could kill somebody literally without even knowing your, whoever gave it to Terry and I had probably no idea they gave it to us. We came and figured out an instant where we were close enough to anybody that that six foot distance or saying, yeah, I was near this person and they were sick. We can't even come up with that to say how we got it. So that's the scary part. That's the really scary part. How do people react when they see the mask that you have that declares your loss? No one's ever said anything to me about it. Um, really? I, I don't know if they read it. I don't know if they, yeah, I have not really had any kind of a reaction from anybody. Um, people that know of my loss have, you know, come up to me and said they're sorry to hear it. But it's usually because we, they either already know or like if they come in the showroom and I have to explain that Terry no longer is here. So I don't have a showroom person that we used to have because he passed away. They'll react and tell me, you know, they'll give me their condolences and stuff, but no one has ever said a word about my mask. And my grandkids, my daughters have the same mask that says they lost their dad. My grandchildren have one that say I lost my grandpa. But I haven't heard that they've had anybody comment either. That's surprising. 
I also hadn't thought about the constant daily delivering of the news to people because of your business. I didn't come back to work right away. I mean, I have been obviously, Terry spent his life building this business for his family. And so I have had to keep it going. And I did come back once a week while he was in the hospital and, and then um, just to do what had to get done. And then um, the middle of February after his funeral, I came back full time. But it, yeah, I think I have someone that answers the phone most of the time. So I, it limits how many times I have to tell people that, but it's very hard. Uh, we've had customers that are third, fourth generation, or they've been our customers for many years, and they just absolutely love Terry. So to have to have to tell people that, yeah, it's been hard. But it is comforting to know the love that, how much love you have from so many people. What would you, if if resources weren't an option or um, there weren't barriers up, what? In Terry's name, what could people do? Um, you know, you've mentioned wearing a mask and being safe and getting the vaccine, but what in his name could people do at this point? I just think living by his example of caring about each other and, and taking care of each other. I Not everybody's got money, but everybody either has money or they have time or they have knowledge or they have something that they they have love they have compassion anything you can share with others um, to better and help their lives is important um, and I think that's how a lot of people can honor Terry is is just care about each other and take care of each other the way he would yeah and you know and I I have been very honored there's a lot of people doing a lot of things in Terry's name there was a wonderful article that the newspaper did on him and um, I think he's going to be remembered for a long, long time uh, as, as, for who he was, which was, is, you know, it's, it's good. It's, it's good to hear people tell stories. And I will say um, probably the most helpful thing to me is when people tell me the stories of how they remember Terry or how he touched them or what he did that made a difference in their lives. I think if you could share that with people in your lives too, if there's, um, and you don't have to wait for them to die to do it either. If you just tell people how much something they've done or, or who they are means to you or has helped you in your life, I think that's a way to honor each other. Bring out the humanity a little bit more. Yes, we need a lot more of that. You know, the media likes to show us the cold, heartless world that we live in, but I'm here to tell you that in the last three months, I have never seen so much outpouring of love, of support, of funds, of, you know, people just want to help. They want to be there. They care. And then we have a community, at least my little community in the world I live in is a pretty darn good one. I have a community full of loving, caring people that do help each other and do care. And there are bad people out there, but for every one of us that does good and stays compassionate and loving, we can way outnumber the ones that aren't that way. So. And you said that you have way more food than you could possibly use and flowers die. My sister absolutely 
did not like when I said I don't need more flowers. So she sent me some wooden flowers because I told her I didn't like when flowers died. So she <laughs> sent me wooden flowers, which was <laughs> awfully sweet. You know, it's like she found a way to, you know. And I've had, you know, an outpouring, like I say, of people there for me. And of course, it was over Christmas time. So that was, diff- you know, hard too that for people thinking of me being a, without Terry at Christmas. But we made it through. So if you have family that has a loss, make sure they're not alone during the special occasions of the holidays if they don't want to be. Some people like that's the trick right there is making sure that you're within people's personal boundaries because some people process things better on their own. Yes, that's the hard part of uh, and even I went through that. You know, there was a time where I didn't want to low and Terry's in the hospital. I really didn't want to talk to anybody. I just wanted to talk to Terry and um, I was so I spent my whole day praying and and just thinking of Terry and talking to him and I really didn't want to talk to a lot of people and luckily people were understanding I think that's just it being understanding of the fact that everybody's different and no two people are going to have the same experience when they have a major loss in their life uh, but I did get to where you know I would when I needed someone to talk to I just started picking one person a day and I started easing myself back into talking to people and picked who I felt was waiting in the wings the most and needed to know that I was okay. And I think that's, that was more of a, a concern for me as I, I, oh, I want people to know I'm going to be okay. You know, it's, I mean, I have my bad days, but I'm going to be okay. Well, and different people serve different purposes too. You know, you've got the people that are the distraction humans and people that are the empathetic humans, people that are the fixer humans. So it kind of depends on what you need as to who you call. And we have to ask, what's the future of Terry Overracker Plumbing? Well, you know, I'm fortunate there too, because even though I've never, this, my passion has not been working in the plumbing industry and everybody knows me that knows that, but I enjoy the social side and the networking side and they're, my admin side, but um, I spent enough time with Terry and talked with Terry and we really did work as a team. And so I am now the owner. I am uh, running the company. Luckily my plumbers, one's been with me 21 years. The other's been over 15. The other's been over eight. Um, They do what they do and they're good at what they do and they're being very helpful. I don't know how they feel about all of a sudden having me as a woman and uh, not Terry as their boss, but they're being really good about it. They haven't uh, caused me too much grief. And eventually I uh, hope to sell my company to my son-in-law. My grandson worked for us last summer and he really enjoyed being a plumber and thinks he wants, that might be the avenue he wants to go in, which is a great field because there is a shortage of plumbers. And so we're going to keep the legacy going. We're going to, uh, I will stay on as long as I need to, but I would like to retire and enjoy my grandbabies and have some fun too. Um, But when I do retire, I'll always be in the wings if they need me. And we will continue Terry's legacy to take care of our customers because that was his whole world. He's been a plumber since he was a teenager and it was important to him to take care of the people. It wasn't about making the money. It wasn't about anything besides he loved being able to help people and find a solution to their problem. And when they would tell him how much they liked their new bathroom or they we're so excited to have a toilet that worked well or whatever it was, it made him feel good. And I think the employees we have have seen that and they've worked with Terry. Everybody had worked 
one-on-one -on -one with Jay at some point or another during their career here. So they've seen him in the field as well as in the office. And uh, we're going to carry on his legacy. And it's going to be Terry Overacker Plumbing, hopefully for a few generations to come. We're celebrating 24 years of this Terry Overacker Plumbing. Terry has had a plumbing company. Well, we had one in Oklahoma 41 years ago, uh, back here in Minnesota with his own company. It's been 24 years this month. So we're going to be celebrating 24 years of Terry's legacy. That's lovely. I remember calling you guys when our toilets were overflowing constantly at the museum and they made a big mess all the time. And Terry promised me that this particular magical toilet with 40 PSI flush was unpluggable and that absolutely nothing could happen in the museum. We would never have another overflow. And I believed him and he installed our two new toilets and we had a ribbon cutting at the bathroom uh, with our board of directors one day before the, the board meeting. And it was, it was good for a couple months. And then I called Terry and I said, you're not gonna believe this, but one of our patrons actually plugged your toilet. And he didn't believe me because apparently no one had ever plugged those toilets before. And I said, never give us a challenge. We will rise <laughs> to your challenge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And his he, he, he did tell people that that particular toilet, that if it plugs, they'll come clean at one time because it does take a lot, but it is not impossible. Nothing is impossible. <laughs> he liked that toilet, that's for sure. It, and it's pretty hard to plug if you're not, the average person doesn't plug them. But, but that it is has funny. served us well. I really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts with us. I really, you know, I thank you for letting me because it, uh, it helps to talk about it. It helps to, I feel it's important, important to educate people. I, I want people to be able to relate to what it's like and, and what our world is like right now. Um, I just think too many people are, are oblivious to it. And I, the more people that can see it and understand it. And if anybody, if we can save anybody's life, I, that would be just amazing. So thank you. Read all about it in the Anoka County Library Minute. Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Library Minute. I'm Haley Koval, a librarian at the Northtown branch of Anoka County Library. I've compiled some sources for you today about grief and loss, how to push through when you've lost someone you love, and how to embrace that pain in a healthy way. The first book I have is Finding Meaning, The Sixth Stage of Grief by David Kessler. David Kessler is an expert on grieving and actually co-authored on grief and grieving with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, the woman who identified the steps of dying in the 1960s. In this book, Kessler posits that there is a stage beyond the classic five stages of grief that we all know, that of finding meaning and closure that celebrates the life of the person lost. Kessler draws on his own experience with the loss of his son, as well as his work with those grieving. For explaining death to children, I have Facing Death by Stephanie Finney. This book for young readers teaches children how to identify grief as well as how to navigate their own grief and how to support others who are grieving. It uses social and emotional learning, or SEL, concepts throughout the book and has interactive prompts to help aid in understanding. Lost Companions, Reflection on the Death of Pets by J. Musayef Masson. 
Grief is not just present in the loss of humans. Those of us who have shared our homes with beloved pets know that their deaths are also devastating. While the loss of pets is sometimes dismissed as minor by those who did not love them, it absolutely takes an emotional toll, and Mosiah Masan treats the topic with the gravity and tenderness it deserves in his book. Another aspect of grieving, anxiety, the missing stage of grief, a revolutionary approach to understanding and healing the impact of loss by Claire Bidwell-Smith. Using cognitive behavioral therapy skills, Claire Bidwell-Smith's book teaches how for many grief and anxiety occur together. Men We Reaped, a memoir by Jessamyn Ward. Two-time national book winner Jessamyn Ward lost five men in her life in the span of five years. They all met different ends, be it drugs, suicide, or simply bad luck from a life in poverty, but she keenly felt each loss. Ward's book, named one of the best books of the century by New York Magazine, looks at loss and grief and the often insurmountable struggles faced by black men in the rural South. As always, you can find more about these topics by looking in the call numbers listed, or you can always call, email, or stop in to speak to a librarian for help. We have all experienced losses and hardships in some way this past year, so be sure and take some time to be kind to yourself and listen to your heart. Thank you for stopping by, and we'll see you again soon. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. I thank Gina so much for being willing to share so much of her story. If you go to our website, you know that we've been collecting COVID stories for a year now. And right when we started doing that back in March of 2020, Gina wrote and submitted her own experiences at that moment of time. It's dated March 26, 2020. And the last line of it just got me in all of the feels. She wrote, lastly, I feel very fortunate in that no one I know has the virus, as far as I've heard. That's reassuring. So just a year later, how much of her story has changed and how much we don't know how illness or this virus will affect our families and our community. One of the things we talk about a lot at the History Center is the importance of writing down your experiences as they happen, because you will never feel that way again. Things will always change, and those lenses are always going to change. There's no way that Gina would be able to write her story now without the knowledge that Terry would pass away. There's no way she'd be able to have that innocence again to look out at a, a few days of quarantine and say, yeah, we're all right. Our feelings feel so obvious in the moment that they're happening. It feels like something we'll never forget. After a year goes by, after couple of years go by, it's really hard to recapture those memories and feelings. So it's really important to write it down, to tell the story. I'm seeing a lot in my social media feed right now of people sharing the one year ago memories and saying, wow, I was naive. I thought this homeschool thing was only going to last for a few weeks. Ha ha ha. Or 
you know, I was working out at home for a little while. I'll get back to the gym soon or, you know, whatever their experiences may have been. But I'm seeing those memories getting shared an awful lot on social media now. And even the impact of writing something on social media is documenting and, and it comes back around. So people are doing this and I'm just so grateful that those memories are being captured. We are sending out the call again to anybody that's listening to this. Write down your story, speak your story into your phone and record it and send it our way. We want to capture these moments, these feelings for history because yeah, we might remember it here in this moment, but what about people 50 years from now, 100 years from now? I don't want them to get my story wrong. I'm going to give it to them from my my lips. Keep your power, Sarah. Find uh, good resources on our website, anookacountyhistory.org, and we'll come to you with a new episode next time. Thanks. We'll see you then. If you have a question or you would like to share your own story with us, you can find us at anookacountyhistory.org. We are all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all who scroll by. For our members and donors, you can find special access to podcast extras, as well as the latest digital resources at our vault located on the website. History 21 is a production of the Anoka County Historical Society. Remember, the present is the past of the future.